Section 57 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Irma Martin. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 2. Book the Second. Chapter 11. Gwynplaine Thinks Justice and Ursus Talks Truth. A philosopher is a spy. Ursus, a watcher of dreams, studied his pupil. Our monologues leave on our brows a faint reflection, distinguishable to the eye of a physiognomist. Hence, what occurred to Gwynplaine did not escape Ursus. One day, as Gwynplaine was meditating, Ursus pulled him by his jacket and exclaimed, "'You strike me as being an observer, you fool!' Take care, it is no business of yours. You have one thing to do, to love Dea. You have two causes of happiness. The first is that the crowd sees your muzzle. The second is that Dea does not. You have no right to the happiness you possess, for no woman who saw your mouth would consent to your kiss, and that mouth which has made your fortune, and that face which has given you riches, are not your own. You were not born with that countenance. It was borrowed from the grimace which is at the bottom of the infinite. You have stolen your mask from the devil. You are hideous. Be satisfied with having drawn that prize in the lottery. There are in this world, and a very good thing too, the happy by right and the happy by luck. You are happy by luck. You are in a cave wherein a star is enclosed. The poor star belongs to you. Do not seek to leave the cave, and guard your star, O oh spider. You have in your web the carbuncle, Venus. Do me the favor to be satisfied. I see your dreams are troubled. It is idiotic of you. Listen, I am going to speak to you in the language of true poetry. Let Dea eat beefsteaks and mutton chops, and in six months she will be as strong as a Turk. Marry her immediately, give her a child. Two children, three children, a long string of children. This is what I call philosophy. Moreover, it is happiness, which is no folly. To have children is a glimpse of heaven. Have brats, wipe them, blow their noses, dirt them, wash them, and put them to bed. Let them swarm about you. If they laugh, it is well. If they howl, it is better. To cry is to live. Watch them suck at six months, crawl at a year, Walk at two, grow tall at fifteen, fall in love at twenty. He who has these joys has everything. For myself I lacked the advantage. And that is the reason why I am a brute. God, a composer of beautiful poems and the first of men of letters, said to his fellow workman, Moses, Increase and multiply. Such is the text. Multiply, you beast! As to the world, it is as it is. You cannot make nor mar it. Do not trouble yourself about it. Pay no attention to what goes on outside. Leave the horizon alone. A comedian is made to be looked at, not to look. Do you know what there is outside? The happy by right. You, I repeat, are the happy by chance. You are the pickpocket of the happiness of which they are the proprietors. They are the legitimate possessors. You are the intruder. 
You live in concubinage with luck. What do you want that you have not already? Shibboleth, help me. This fellow is a rascal. To multiply himself by day would be pleasant all the same. Such happiness is like a swindle. Those above who possess happiness by privilege do not like folks below them to have so much enjoyment. If they ask you what right you have to be happy, you will not know what to answer. You have no patent, and they have. Jupiter, Allah, Vishnu, Saboeth, it does not matter who, has given them the passport to happiness. Fear them. Do not meddle with them, lest they should meddle with you. Wretch, do you know what the man is who is happy by right? He is a terrible being. He is a lord. A lord! He must have intrigued pretty well in the devil's unknown country before he was born, to enter life by the door he did. How difficult it must have been to him to be born! It is the only trouble he has given himself. By just heavens, what a one! To obtain from destiny the blind blockhead, to mark him in his cradle a master of men, to bribe the box-keeper to give him the best place at the show. Read the memoranda in the old hut, which I have placed on half-pay. Read that breviary of my wisdom, and you will see what it is to be a lord. A lord is one who has all and is all. A lord is one who exists above his own nature. A lord is one who has when young the rights of an old man, when old the success in intrigue of a young one. If vicious the homage of respectable people, if a coward the command of brave men, if a do-nothing the fruits of labor, if ignorant the diploma of Cambridge or Oxford, if a fool, the admiration of poets, if ugly, the smiles of women, if a Thersetes, the helm of Achilles, if a hare, the skin of a lion. Do not misunderstand my words. I do not say that a lord must necessarily be ignorant, a coward, ugly, stupid, or old. I only mean that he may be all those things without any detriment to himself. On the contrary, lords are princes. The king of England is only a lord, the first peer of the peerage. That is all. But it is much. Kings were formerly called lords. The lord of Denmark, the lord of Ireland, the lord of the Isles. The lord of Norway was first called king three hundred years ago. Lucius, the most ancient king in England, was spoken to by St. Telesphonus as my lord Lucius. The lords are peers, that is to say equals, of whom? Of the king. I do not commit the mistake of confounding the lords with parliament. The assembly of the people, which the Saxons before the conquest called Wittenagemot, the Normans after the conquest entitled Parliamentum. By degrees the people were turned out. The king's letters clause convoking the commons addressed formerly ad concilium impendendum, are now addressed ad consentendum. To say yes is their liberty. The peers can say no, and the proof is that they have said it. The peers can cut off the king's head. The people cannot. The stroke of the hatchet, which decapitated Charles I, is an encroachment, not on the king, but on the peers, and it was well to place on the gibbet the carcass of Cromwell, 
the lords have power. Why? Because they have riches. Who has turned over the leaves of the Doomsday Book? It is the proof that the lords possess England. It is the registry of the estates of subjects, compiled under William the Conqueror. And it is in the charge of the Chancellor of the Exchequer. To copy anything in it, you have to pay two pence a line. It is a proud book. Do you know that I was domestic doctor to a lord, who was called Marmaduke, and who had thirty-six thousand a year? Think of that, you hideous idiot! Do you know that, with rabbits only from the warrens of Earl Lindsay, they could feed all the riffraff of the Cinque Ports? And the good order kept. Every poacher is hung. For two long furry ears sticking out of a game-bag, I saw the father of six children hanging on the gibbet. Such is the peerage. The rabbit of a great lord is of more importance than God's image in a man. Lords exist, you trespasser, do you see? And we must think it good that they do. And even if we do not, what harm will it do to them? The people object, indeed. Why? Plautus himself would never have attained the comicality of such an idea. A philosopher would be jesting if he advised the poor devil of the masses to cry out against the size and weight of the lords. Just as well might the gnat dispute with the foot of an elephant. One day I saw a hippopotamus tread upon a molehill. He crushed it utterly. He was innocent. The great soft-headed fool of a mastodon did not even know of the existence of moles. My son, the moles that are trodden on are the human race. To crush is a law. And do you think that the mole himself crushes nothing? Why, it is the mastodon of the flesh-worm, who is the mastodon of the globe-worm. But let us cease arguing. My boy, there are coaches in the world. My lord is inside. The people under the wheels. The philosopher gets out of the way. Stand aside and let them pass. As to myself, I love lords and shun them. I lived with one. The beauty of my recollections suffices me. I remember his country house, like a glory in the cloud. My dreams are all retrospective. Nothing could be more admirable than Marmaduke Lodge in grandeur, beautiful symmetry, rich avenues, and the ornaments and surroundings of the edifice. The houses, country seats, and palaces of the lords present a selection of all that is greatest and most magnificent in this flourishing kingdom. I love our lords. I thank them for being opulent, powerful, and prosperous. I myself am clothed in shadow, and I look with interest upon the shred of heavenly blue which is called a lord. You enter Marmaduke Lodge by an exceedingly spacious courtyard, which forms an oblong square divided into eight spaces each surrounded by a balustrade. On each side is a wide approach, and a superb hexagonal fountain plays in the midst. This fountain is formed of two basins, which are surmounted by a dome of exquisite openwork, elevated on six columns. It was there that I knew a learned Frenchman, Monsieur Leheb de Croix, 
who belonged to the Jacobin Monastery in the Rue Saint-Jacques. Half the library of Erpenius is at Marmaduke Lodge, the other half being at the Theological Gallery at Cambridge. I used to read the books, seated under the ornamented portal. These things are only shown to a select number of curious travelers. Do you know, you ridiculous boy, that William North, who was Lord Grey of Rolleston, and sits fourteenth on the bench of barons, has more forest trees on his mountains than you have hairs on your horrible noodle? Do you know that Lord Norris of Rycote, who is Earl of Abingdon, has a square keep a hundred feet high, having this device, Virtus Ariete Fortuere, which you would think meant that virtue is stronger than a ram, but which really means, you idiot, that courage is stronger than a battering machine. Yes, I honor, accept, respect, and revere our lords. It is the lords who, with Her Royal Majesty, work to procure and preserve the advantages of the nation. Their consummate wisdom shines in intricate junctures. Their precedent over others I wish they had not. But they have it. What is called principality in Germany, grandeeship in Spain, is called peerage in England and France. There being a fair show of reason for considering the world a wretched place enough, heaven felt where the burden was most galling. And to prove that it knew how to make happy people, created lords for the satisfaction of philosophers. This acts as a set-off, and gets heaven out of the scrape, affording it a decent escape from a false position. The great are great. A peer, speaking of himself, says we. A peer is a plural. The king qualifies the peer consanguine nostri. The peers have made a multitude of wise laws, amongst others, one which condemns to death any one who cuts down a three-year-old poplar tree. Their supremacy is such that they have a language of their own. In heraldic style, black, which is called sable for gentry, is called saturn for princes and diamond for peers. Diamond dust, a night thick with stars, such is the night of the happy. Even amongst themselves these high and mighty lords have their own distinctions. A baron cannot wash with a viscount without his permission. These are indeed excellent things, and safeguards to the nation. What a fine thing it is for the people to have twenty-five dukes, five marquises, seventy-six earls, nine viscounts, and sixty-one barons, making altogether a hundred and seventy-six peers, of which some are your grace, and some my lord. What matter a few rags here and there with all? Everybody cannot be dressed in gold. Let the rags be. Cannot you see the purple? One balances the other. A thing must be built of something. Yes, of course there are the poor. What of them? They line the happiness of the wealthy. Devil take it. Our lords are our glory. The pack of hounds belonging to Charles Baron Mohun costs him as much as the hospital for lepers in Moorgate and for Christ's Hospital, founded for children, in 1553 by Edward VI. Thomas Osborne, Duke of Leeds, spends yearly on his liveries five thousand golden guineas. 
the Spanish grandees have a guardian appointed by law to prevent their ruining themselves. That is cowardly. Our lords are extravagant and magnificent. I esteem them for it. Let us not abuse them like envious folks. I feel happy when a beautiful vision passes. I have not the light, but I have the reflection. A reflection thrown on my ulcer, you will say. Go to the devil. I am a Job, delighted in the contemplation of Tremalcion. Oh, that beautiful and radiant planet up there! But the moonlight is something. To suppress the lords was an idea which Orestes, mad as he was, would not have dared to entertain. To say that the lords are mischievous or useless is as much as to say that the state should be revolutionized, and that men are not made to live like cattle, browsing the grass and bitten by the dog. The field is shorn by the sheep, the sheep by the shepherd. It is all one to me. I am a philosopher, and I care about life as much as a fly. Life is but a lodging. When I think that Henry Bowes Howard, Earl of Berkshire, has in his stable twenty-four state carriages, of which one is mounted in silver and another in gold, good heavens! I know that every one has not got twenty-four state carriages. But there is no need to complain for all that. Because you were cold one night, what was that to him? It concerns you only. Others besides you suffer cold and hunger. Don't you know that without that cold, Dea would not have been blind? And if Dea were not blind, she would not love you? Think of that, you fool! And besides, if all the people who were lost were to complain, there would be a pretty tumult. Silence is the rule. I have no doubt that heaven imposes silence on the damned. Otherwise heaven itself would be punished by their everlasting cry. The happiness of Olympus is bought by the silence of Cocytus. Then people be silent. I do better myself. I approve and admire. Just now I was enumerating the lords, and I ought to add to the list two archbishops and twenty-four bishops. Truly, I am quite affected when I think of it. I remember to have seen at the tithe gathering of the Reverend Dean of Raffaux, who combined the peerage with the church, a great tithe of beautiful wheat taken from the peasants in the neighborhood, and which the dean had not been at the trouble of growing. This left him time to say his prayers. Do you know that Lord Marmaduke, my master, was Lord Grand Treasurer of Ireland, and High Seneschal of the Sovereignty of Knaresborough in the County of York? Do you know that the Lord High Chamberlain, which is an office hereditary in the family of the Dukes of Ancaster, dresses the king for his coronation, and receives for his trouble forty yards of crimson velvet, besides the bed on which the king has slept, and that the usher of the black rod is his deputy? I should like to see you deny this, that the senior Viscount of England is Robert Brent, created a viscount by Henry V. The Lord's titles imply sovereignty over land, except that of Earl Rivers, who takes his title from his family name. How admirable is the right which they have to tax others, and to levy, for instance, four shillings in the pound sterling income tax, which has just been continued for another year, and all the time taxes on distilled spirits, on the excise of wine and beer, on tonnage and poundage, on cider, on perry, on mum, malt, and prepared barley, 
on coals and on a hundred things besides. Let us venerate things as they are. The clergy themselves depend on the lords. The bishop of man is subject to the earl of Derby. The lords have wild beasts of their own, which they place in their armorial bearings. God, not having made enough, they have invented others. They have created the heraldic wild boar, who is as much above the wild boar as the wild boar is above the domestic pig, and the Lord is above the priest. They have created the griffin, which is an eagle to lions, and a lion to eagles, terrifying lions by his wings, and eagles by his mane. They have the gouvre, the unicorn, the serpent, the salamander, the tarasque, the dree, the dragon, and the hippogriff. All these things, terrible to us, are to them but an ornament and an embellishment. They have a menagerie which they call the blazon, in which unknown beasts roar. The prodigies of the forest are nothing compared to the inventions of their pride. Their vanity is full of phantoms, which move as in a sublime night, armed with helm and cuirass, spurs on their heels and the scepters in their hands, saying in a grave voice, We are the ancestors. The canker-worms eat the roots, and the panoplies eat the people. Why not? Are we to change the laws? The peerage is part of the order of society. Do you know that there is a duke in Scotland who can ride ninety miles without leaving his own estate? Do you know that the Archbishop of Canterbury has a revenue of forty thousand pounds a year? Do you know that Her Majesty has seven hundred thousand pounds sterling from the civil list, besides castles, forests, domains, fiefs, tenancies, freeholds, prebendaries, tithes, rent, confiscations, and fines, which bring in over a million sterling? Those who are not satisfied are hard to please. Yes, murmured Gwynplaine sadly. The paradise of the rich is made out of the hell of the poor. End of section 57